This is the At 530 on Main podcast. I'm Sean Collins. And I'm Mike Davis. And we're here to discuss the convergence of digital and physical experiences in today's world. With Extend Group as an expert in designing online experiences and VPS Architecture, an expert on creating physical experiences, you will hear unique discussions on technology, theory, and more that merges our separate areas of expertise into one podcast experience. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy today's At 530 on Main podcast episode. All right, everyone, welcome to At 530 on Main Street. We are the At 530 on Main podcasts. This is our first official Zoom podcast. So thank you for joining in with Mike and our guest today, Amelia Roberts. We are uh, Zooming in from 530 Main Street. And then Amelia, where are you located? I'm on the east side of Evansville. East side of Evansville. So we're all here in the wonderful EVV area. Look EVV up when you uh, go make your next uh, travel. It's EVV on the airport. That's how you find us. So uh, come and visit us. At 530 on Main Street is a partnership between Extend Group and VPS Architecture. Uh, We like to have a conversation around the convergence of digital and the physical experience, uh, what that means for spatial engagement, what that means for online personas, all those uh, those things there. And, and today, as I said, we have a special guest, Amelia Roberts. Uh, she comes to us from the Gulf Coast of Alabama. She has she got her undergraduate degree from the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa. She began her career down the road here in Louisville, Kentucky. That's about an hour, 45 minutes, my, uh, my speed limit away from here. And she founded a Social Light Media LLC. It was a digital marketing firm with a Southern flair, polite, and tenacious. I like that. Uh, and then she uh, received her MBA from Bellarmine University. One of my mentors actually taught there for a while. David oh, Myers. really? David Myers. Mm-hmm. He was there in their head of digital. He was there about five years ago. He's at the, he was a previous podcast guest. So she moved here after marrying her husband, Philip. And they, um, in her transition between agency and uh, entrepreneurship, she began working as a life coach. And I can't wait to hear about that, that transition and that, how that experience uh, came to be. And, you know, what she really finds valuable is it's an outlet. Being able to help individuals is something that she had that internal nature uh, craving for. So you have your coaching and training certification from Coactive Training Institute, and you are ICF credential holder. So Amelia, you're also a yoga instructor, a teacher, and you like travel and food. So welcome to the podcast uh, at 530 on Main. As you see, co-host right there, uh, Mike Davis. Mike, how's the world of architecture? Going good. Going good. good. We'll get back open. I think we're back to where it was. So Amelia, tell me about the tra- this transition. You know, agency, entrepreneur, and, and, and how, did, how did that come to be? So everything is clear in hindsight, right? So I like to answer this question now. 
or just when you're in the middle of something, it's not always so clear. But what I can see now is that from the beginning of my career, I had this idea of what I was supposed to be. I was supposed to be successful and the route for that looked like climbing the ladder at a corporate whatever, you know, uh, being in marketing, it's healthcare industry, it's accounting, it's, you know, whatever you plug into a corporate environment and sort of working your way up from there. And what I realized was my uh, family will laugh at this. I don't like for people to tell me what to do. I like to autonomy is one of my biggest core values. And I really enjoy being able to create something and build it and then see it through to the end and and see the impact and the value that it provides. And sometimes in a corporate environment, you're not always allowed to do that. It's definitely a lot more collaborative, which I also enjoy, but it just wasn't a great fit for me. And so I decided to go out on my own. A friend of mine told me about how she was consulting uh, digital marketing. And I thought, gosh, I can do that. Like, I, I know I can do that. And had a really amazing supportive network in Louisville and started that business quite easily. It was actually kind of a shock. And it was the first business I'd ever started. So I thought, oh, this is great. Why doesn't everyone do this? So uh, gosh, I was doing that for about three years. And then we moved here to Evansville. And I didn't, I didn't know what the climate would be like. I didn't know my specialty was um, small business owners, family owned businesses that wouldn't have an in-house marketing person. And so I thought, you know, I, if I'm working from home and I, I don't know anyone, this doesn't feel like it's going to be a really successful transition. So I took a corporate marketing job. Um, and I'm so glad that I did that because it helped me get integrated into the community. It helped me uh, make connections and I met the most incredible people. But from a work perspective, I'm just not a corporate, I'm not a corporate person. And it took me a long time to be able to say that with just acceptance because I thought that's what I was supposed to be. And so this whole change from marketing into coaching happened, like for all of us, the change happens in the uncomfortable, hard time. That transition for me was really, really difficult. And so I sought support through a life coach. And through that process of getting clear about what my values are, understanding what my strengths are, and how to actually lean into them, shifted the whole way that I look about at what it is that I want to do and how I want to be of service to the world. So it was through that process that, you know, I I wrote my list, my anybody that's worked with a coach will laugh about this. I wrote my vision list of everything that I wanted my life to look like and coaching just checked all the boxes. So um, like you said, I went through the training and the certification and that in and of itself is a process. It's intense work, but it's really good work. And so here I am three years later, and I, I've never been able to say I, I love my job every single day. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, one of the things that, um, so if you were, like, I want to be corporate. Like, I, I think that's where I'm supposed to be, and that's, you know, uh, that is the measure of su- success. 
when you first came out, did you find the word consultant hard to find yourself as? While I was still in marketing? Yes. When you first came out, the reason why I ask is I've always struggled with that word as much as that's what I do. I consult with our clients and help solve. I too wanted to climb corporate ladders and, and do those things that the word consultant, I at times still struggle with. And I didn't know if you shared a similar uh, pickup around that word. I don't think so. I was also in my mid twenties, so maybe I just didn't know any better. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, it's uh, I, uh, it's one of those. Yeah. I've often uh, found myself, I don't know, as a, creative pioneer, uh, guardian. I, I'm always, always questioning that word. And I think it's just because I'm always searching for how are we really applying our skill sets to improve others and how are we measuring that? So, um, yeah. that is awesome. So like, um, your clients come to you for a certain experience, like you're, you're helping them grow, both uh, internally, right? You're helping them grow as an individual. You can't um, give what you don't possess. So as an individual to come to you as a life coach, they're trying to make themselves better to impact their family and impact their workplace and impact their, uh, then their community. So like, what does the word experience mean to you? How do you, how do you define that? Experience feels like the whole process of life. Like it's because I, and I love that question because it's, it could mean something totally different to every person. And I think it ties in really closely to individual truth and individual perspective that the three of us could witness the same event and come away with three different experiences. And it's, you know, all those layers of, of everything that we experience every day shapes the way that we see going forward, you know? So it's, it really is just the process of living is the way I think about it. So how has that changed in the last few months? You know, because I would assume as a personal life coach or any kind of coaching, being able to meet with someone face-to-face, you probably learn a lot more and connect a lot quicker. I would have just assuming that as opposed to this way where, where it can be formal. But how did it work before and how has it affected you you know, basically having Zoom meetings or phone calls as opposed to in-person conversations. Yeah. There are two avenues in that with coaching. Um, Some coaches meet in person and that works for them. And actually all of our training is in person. And so we learn coaching in that face-to-face space. And there is something to be said for that energetic exchange between two humans. I have always coached over the phone. I have a tendency to be very expressive in my face. And I, I knew that I didn't want to spend energy managing that. And there's a certain being have, as a client being coached over the phone from both sides. I find that there is an anonymity that comes with phone without video. So not even zoom where even if it's someone that I know outside of coaching those boundaries get shifted. So now I'm not Amelia, your volunteer friend. I'm Amelia, your coach. And so that is helpful. And then from a coach standpoint, it forces me to listen on a much deeper level. So listening for 
how something is said more than what's said. Um, listening, it just kind of makes that, it sharpens that, um, that skill. And you'd be surprised how much um, intuitively can be passed just on the phone. So for me, COVID hasn't really changed anything other than um, people don't have, understandably, people have not had this space for this kind of work. You know, when you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we went from the top, which is kind of where coaching lives, all the way to the bottom. And so I recognized that and was okay with it and just took a step back and was sort of more quiet because I knew that people just, they just needed some space to process and deal with it. And, you know, if they wanted to come to me, that was great. I offered free coaching for a little while to help people manage that transition. But from an experience standpoint, it really hasn't changed my process, so to speak. Did it change your clients? Did they open up more now that they were kind of forced to be more online, even through work? And You know, we end up talking about the same things at the end of the day. The expression of it is different. The circumstances are different. But because coaching is focused on the human and not the problem, the conversations tend to be the same. You know, the problem might be different, but the underlying root is the same. Could you walk our listeners through, like, the experience of of how you meet your clients, um, how you typically engage in, in that coaching experience and, and does that come from a, you know, does it come from a digital lead? Is it face to face? Is it referrals? Like how does that experience start? Coaching is unique in that I heard this explained to me. I can't take credit for this, but where most businesses you have a sales funnel, coaching is more of like a bucket and it takes about five years on average for nowadays for a coach to really replace your full-time income is the statistic. So you're imagining just filling up this bucket with potential leads and all you can do is plug the holes to try to keep people from falling out. But it, it, the bucket has to get full before you're going to start getting clients out of it. So it's a long game and the experience is a lot different in that, I, and most coaches just, you have to wait for people, you know, you can put out content on social media. You can do the weekly or the monthly newsletter, email, you can speak from your heart and network and do all of those things, but really people have to be ready to do this work. Otherwise it's just a waste of time and money. So I'm probably a little bit more passive than some coaches would be. But I just genuinely feel like if I'm working to get a client, they're not ready. And so it's just, it's not going to be a good experience for either one of us. I use social media as a platform to really just dive into like topics that are on my mind and on my heart that seem important and hope that if it's something that I'm going through and I'm dealing with, then somebody else will benefit from hearing from it. So I don't do a lot of promotional content. It's really just straight organic 
connection building, relationship building that I'm trying to, to, to do on that platform. So the Gulf Coast of Alabama to Louisville, Kentucky to Evansville, Indiana, like how are those experiences different culturally, you know, from like if you were in the Gulf Coast today trying to be a coach there or Louisville, Kentucky or Evansville, does that experience change or is it the authentic process? I mean, how would that change the experience or would it at all? Oh, that's a loaded question. Um, From the coaching standpoint in Louisville, just because it's a bigger uh, community and there are more transplants, coaching is more accepted. It's more known. It's like, oh yeah, I was working with my coach and it's as easy as you would say I was working with my therapist. Um, In my hometown in Mobile and in Evansville too, I think to to an extent it's lesser known. It's, It's less common. So there's a little bit more talking about what it is and explaining the process and the benefits of it yeah. up front, which is fine. Yeah. So starting in marketing in the career and having your, your own digital agency, how has that helped you in the one-on-one, you know, I mean, you're typically talking to a defined target audience and, you know, you're trying to communicate, you know, not the features and benefits, but the, the core value of the product and, and, you know, the lifestyle that it, how, how has that helped you uh, within coaching? I, just, I didn't have to do a lot of research on what to do. I already knew how I felt about different marketing approaches and different, ways to go about it. And I knew that I wasn't going to be an AdWords person. I knew I wasn't going to be into the data of it and analyzing. And um, my marketing approach was always tell a story. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I can nerd out on the data, but it, you know, it, it's not my passion. So I think really the biggest benefit was just, I knew how to set up my website. I knew how to that at my Instagram, you know, it was just kind of logistic stuff that some coaches struggle with. Cause at least, um, in my certification program, they don't teach that sort of stuff. I think maybe in others they do, or at least give some sort of resource. I'm not totally sure, but I think for a lot of coaches, they sort of struggle with that, getting everything digital, the process digital and easy for the client. My coach always told me, make it easy for people to give you their money. And I've taken that to heart. <laughs> That's true. So how how has it been harder, you know, to connect? You talk about filling up that bucket, but you know, I'm assuming you got to have conversations and some face to face time, maybe with people that don't know you. And and has it been harder, easier? Has it been about the same? Have you seen a difference? And what do you think is going to be like the experience coming out of this? More people are going to going to open up and be like, Hey, we went through this and it was nuts and I was not prepared and I need, you know, some coaching would be great right now. Yeah, I hope so. I hope that's what people are getting out of all this. I wouldn't say it's been harder. It's just been slower. Um, kind of being in the process of building a new business in addition to a new career in general, you know, those face-to-face coffee meetings, um, were something I enjoyed. Uh, just reaching out to people that I'm on boards with or, you know, in the same organization with 
and just saying, hey, let's meet for coffee. No agenda, really, but just let's meet and talk. And I just want to get to know you as a human and vice versa. So I do miss those. And I'm hoping that those come back soon. But I think that we're in a period right now with COVID and with all of the racial injustice bubbling to the surface for those of us that have privilege. It's not new. I think that we're definitely in a space where humanity is sort of cracking open. And my hope is that people will realize that there's a lot of support out there for them, whether it be through therapy, whether it be through coaching, uh, mentorship. These are all great resources to help navigate this kind of really transformational human work that we're all being asked to do right now. Well, yeah, you mentioned that reaching out. That was one of the, during this whole thing, one of the things that came out telehealth has been around, but the huge spike and the biggest spike is mental health. Anybody assistance with mental health, it's been a huge spike in helping them connect. And whereas they would struggle to go to a therapist, now they're, they're talking to them, you know, a couple of times a week and they're not afraid to reach out through kind of the telehealth platform. So I think that's been a one positive, you know, that I see that's come out of that. And hopefully, like you said, it can help our country as a whole uh, yeah. to, to come back together. So let's, uh, let's get in some questions so people can get to know you a little bit better. So uh, as a designer, you know, and you're, you're, uh, we talk about the physical and the digital, but what's something you use every day that you think is well-designed? It's like, this is something obvious or something that is unique that you just pick up on. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know, it's the little things. It's like, you know, that my earbud thing is magnetic, and so they just slide right in, and it's so nice. Or... um my husband finally talked me into buying a Dyson vacuum cleaner and I went to clean it. This is so nerdy, but I need the thing that I used to clean to also be clean. Mm-hmm. And so I went to clean it and they, where's my old vacuum? We had to get the screwdriver out. And they had already thought about that this would happen. <laughs> and it was a simple, a simple like twist and snap and it pulled out and you could clean it and, um, so those are the things I just like, they anticipated my need for function and making something easy is always just, I always really appreciate that. Yeah. But they thought about, they thought about the people that were actually buying it. Yeah. Right. You'd think that would be built in, but it isn't always the case. Yeah. So you come, it's interesting. You are in, digital marketing, had your own agency, and everything at one point became very tactical, right? Like, oh, you're going to use CRM, or oh, you're going to use, you know, direct mail, or you're going to do this to reach the end consumer, and and then you make the transition that you made. I'm in a very similar space, and that Extend's been around. This is, you know, in July, this will be our 13th year, and I too have made the leap to be certified in, in some, some leadership training, some individual, you know, how do you 
you know, know yourself to lead yourself. I went through uh, giant worldwide five voices training, getting hundred X leader uh, certified. And it's interesting that we both kind of have that. We're at the agency. We're trying to, you know, make as many connections as possible for, but it always seemed to me like we were, it was tactical, tactical, tactical. Like I just need a website or I need this or I need that. And what I've come to know over, know over the years and, and experience is that culture, you know, company culture, company leadership is the most important thing in any marketing scenario. Without a good culture, none of the, the things that we build, you know, are sustainable. Uh, the consumer experience may be, you know, it may be enhanced from what they see, but once they have it in their hand, like you said, the Dyson, the other ones, like it doesn't happen. And then you have a, you know, you lose that, right? You, you, you know, great marketing makes a bad product fail faster. And it, I'm, I'm intrigued that your, what's your thought on the culture uh, culture trumps strategy, you know, experience. Is it, is, is it all about strategy? Is it all about execution or is it really getting, getting in and knowing the individual so that they can lead others to be the best? What's your thought on one or the other experience? Yeah. I mean, it's always both, right? It's always both. And my strengths always went for me to see the culture side of it, the leadership side of it first. And the tactical stuff was never really like I could do it and that was fine, but it, it, it wasn't what I was the best at. And I think one of the reasons why I wasn't super successful in a corporate setting is because I was always really honing in on, okay, we're saying this, but this is not our experience. This isn't what we're really doing. And I would always really push for shifting either the message to be authentic and own like, Hey, we're really bad at this, but that's okay because we're great at this other thing and have an honest connection with the consumer in that way. And that went over like a lead balloon or to fix the underlying root so that the message lined up with what was true. And so, but it was the wrong department to hear that message from no one wants to hear that from the marketing person yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> so it's interesting that when I can in hindsight again see now is the work I'm doing is the same but the avenue is more appropriate I'm still trying to get people to get to the root of what's happening and make and, and fix that or adjust that or shift it um, and then the rest of it just sort of falls into place yeah, I think that's true of any industry right now. And I don't know if it's an old school versus new school thought mentality, but you always see that. And so I always talk, you know, within our offices, okay, if stop trying to be something you're not, be who you are and then structure your firm to align with everybody's skills. And if we're lacking in some area, then that's somebody we got to find or a partnership or a consultant outside that can come in and really help us with that, as opposed to just trying to do it when you know you're bad at it. You know? Yeah. Well, and people nowadays have really good BS radars. Yeah. And it's offensive really to them as the consumer. To, and people know, like you can see through it, like it comes through in the product. If you're 
or product based or even service based too. You know, if the culture, if there's something rotten underneath, it comes through. Yeah. And, you know, knowing, you know, the community and, and knowing, you know, the population and, and knowing that 60% of our community is either a nurturer or a guardian, which are all present minded. It's about connections, processes, due diligence. And then, you know, a lot of organizations are typically in, and once again, those individuals represent 60% of our population. But when you, when you look at how organizations are typically made up, uh, you have a pioneer, which is like 11% of the population and the loudest and typically the most abrasive. They're the ones that are in control of that organization, their future, their strategic, their, you know, whatever it takes to get to the end. Um, and then you have the creative, which you, you have the feeler and then you have the thinker and they're 7% of the population and you have the connector that makes up the rest. And all those three, the creative, the creative connector and the pioneer typically make up uh, most leadership roles when if an organization really listened and, and brought the nurturers and the guardians up and empowered them to be able to like, you know, as a, I'm an INTP in Myers-Briggs world, that's less than 3% of the population. So there's like three people in a, hun- in a room of 100 that I connect with. So when I talk, only three people understand what I said the first time. So it's, it's, it's difficult as you start to maneuver the discussion of who is the target audience, who do you need to really be able, who, who is the one that's carrying our message out in the community? And it's hard for the pioneer or the connector that really champions that respect, like the connector wants to connect. They want to be celebrated for making those connections and, and those things to give up the role to the individual who truly, when it comes to communicating company mission and vision, if a guardian or a nurturer believes in it, they can con- connect with the majority of people in the room. And uh, within our, our, our corporate cultures, I believe that that experience is starting to come to the top, you know, bringing out the best and, and empowering those to, to lift it up. And I, I, I'd like to know what you think, Amelia, on now that we, as you said earlier, the, our community is sort of cracking open, if you will. We have, you know, the racial inequalities that are coming to the top and the crises that we have in the healthcare, like, how will that internal experience impact future generations? Are we in a, a different time now or are we going to try to go back? Everybody says, I just want it to be normal. Are we going back or are we going forward? You're always going forward. I think, I think we're always going forward. It might not feel like it. It might feel like we're going backwards, but I am a deep believer that humanity is always evolving. Yeah. So those that say, you know, I just wanted to get back to normal. What is the new normal? What is that? That's a great question. Yeah. I I think we're still figuring it out. Um, I can say what I would like it to be, (laughs) but you know, my hope is that we'll realize that we do need to slow down, that we need to reconnect to each other. Um, that there needs to be more space for 
connection with ourselves. Um, I think, Mike, to your point, you know, the increase in seeking out mental health professionals is that, you know, we've, we've had our numbing mechanisms taken away. You know, the meetings and the rushing and the going and the doing all kind of when, you know, we were jumping from zoom to zoom to zoom, (laughs) but you can't, you couldn't run from yourself. You were still in the same chair in front of the same computer. And so, yeah, I I really do hope that, that this is an opportunity that people will take the opportunity to look within and be a little bit more introspective and say, gosh, what do, how is it that I really want to show up? You know, what, what is it that I really want to be able to say about my life at the end? Yes. So building on that and some of what you were talking about earlier, when you think about connecting with your, your clients or or potential clients out there, is it a one-on-one experience that works the best? Is it a group of individuals that works the best or is it getting a, a small company? You know, you talked about small business and getting everybody in that company that you can work with. How, what, is, what is that like for you or where do you feel like you fit your, your strongest value to your end consumer is? I, I think I'm still figuring that out. Um, I'm trying a lot of different things. I do I don't think I'll ever not have the one-to-one coaching experience Um, from a business standpoint. That's a harder to sustain model. And as an industry, coaching is moving away from only having just one-to-one clients as a base because it's, it's, you know, there are more and more coaches and it's just hard to, it's hard to pay your bills that way. Truthfully, I'm toying, I'm playing with a couple different models. I've done a lot of corporate training that I love. I love working with a team and I use um, StrengthsFinder as a tool. And then I have this other set of tools that are about team building and guidelines and all those sorts of things. And it's really fun to get a, a group of people in a room and you can, there's always tension, right? When you work with your work family, there's always something you love each other, but but there's, you know, in those meetings and there's just always something. And I love that. And there's a thousand tools like this. But for me, I love uh, Gallup's Strength Finder because it's an empathy tool, first and foremost, in my mind, that you get to, you get to see the light bulbs go off of, oh, she's not being an aggressive, you know, control freak. It's just that her strengths are this and this is how she's seeing the project and vice versa. Um, so sort of helping turn those light bulbs on for people is so fun. Um, and then I'm also doing like a hybrid group one-to-one coaching program that I, that I'm loving as well. So I'm, I haven't really landed on this is the one way I do it. And I don't know that I ever will just have one way. I, I'm, I'm a learner in my strengths, so I get bored easily. <laughs> so I like variety. I was about ready to ask you, what are your top five strengths? Oh, yeah. Always on the spot. Connectedness, empathy, learner, adaptability, individualization. Cool. Mike, do you remember yours? Uh, My first one was strategic, and I'll probably get the other ones out of order, but it was adaptability, learner. I always forget one or two. Yeah. Yeah. Deliberative, creative, strategic, futuristic, and achiever. Yeah. 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 Let's find the ones I connect with the most. It's like we either have two or three in common. 
Yeah, I, I think uh, I think my number one was it's not nature. I think it's nurture. I, I don't believe that in my my early years I was deliberative, but I, I think uh, mm-hmm. my nature has made that rise to the top. I know yeah. in part, yeah, the, the three in the middle, strategic, creativity, and futuristic, absolutely um, nature. But my five, which raises, right, the other ones, and my number one, I, I truly feel have been shaped over the years. Mm, that's fair. And whenever possible, I like to look at people's top ten because I think, whereas in the five, you might have some like, well, I don't know, but in the top ten, that's that's usually pretty somewhere in there is, you know, it might, they, some of them might move around a little bit, but that's pretty comprehensive. Yeah. To me, buildings are nothing without the people. So it's the experience of the people in those buildings that make the space. Right. So always curious, what's a space that you've experienced that has made you emotional or, or giving you kind of that reaction where you're like, when you go, you, you feel something. Hey, two things come to my mind. The first one being um, when I've traveled and have been in this huge ancient space, just the, like, the incredibleness of without technology, without modern equipment that that humans created this massive space and it has survived for hundreds of years that's always pretty awe-inspiring um and but I think on a more personal level right now tiny homes you'll probably cringe at that answer Mike (laughs) (laughs) the idea of it that it's so perfectly designed for that individual's needs Every square inch is functional. And then the, to your experience, the freedom of it. You hitch it on the back of your car, you go wherever you want. You know? Yeah. That makes my heart flutter right now. And, it, and it's not a, in concept, I think it, it was a good idea, but I think there was a, there's a middle step. Um, if you've ever heard of the not so big house, uh, Suzanne Sanka. Um, okay. And I can send you a link, but she's where it started. And it was designing a home where you used every inch of that space. Yeah. And, and you for storage or for living or whatever, and you maximize it to its And people actually found instead of going out and building a 3,000 square foot home, they're really only needing like a 1,200 square foot home. But it was actually designed appropriately, right, for them and not yeah. just the. Like you have the front room that no one uses and the dining right, room yeah. that no one uses. But we only have this, <laughs> yeah. right? We have this big room and it has this big vaulted ceiling that now you can't use that for a second floor. I mean, just all this stuff. But yeah, the yeah. tiny home, I think it's funny on those how everyone backtracks after after they have to live in them. Yeah, it's definitely extreme. Yeah, I think the concept that you were just talking about is probably more. That's what, that's what I'm at the heart of it. That's what I'm intrigued by. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and to me, as a designer, it goes back to, you know, as architects, we gave up the building of homes and the designing of homes and for whatever reason, 
because the money wasn't enough. But at the end of the day, that's what everybody wants. And, and you're never going to find that without truly going through the, the design process and having that experience because you're just going to be buying something. It's like going to the, you know, a, a store and buying a suit off the rack is never going to be as good as one that's custom made for you, right? Exactly. Yeah. I would imagine that in that role, you're a bit of a coach slash therapist unpacking people's messiness in their life and trying to create a space that, that fits them. Yeah, we always tell them, you know, I'm not here to design what they can go pick out anything and have somebody build it for them, right? You can pick out books and magazines and say, here, what I'm really trying to do is pull out the design out of you, what you want, what you truly want and how you truly live your lives. You know, because some people think, oh, I want, I want this because it's neat. I saw it in a magazine. You go, okay, we can design that, but go home over the weekend and think about, would you really use it? And nine times out of 10, they come back and go, yeah, we probably don't need that because we would never use it. Like, and, and that's what we're really trying to do is just is to get them to think about how they live their lives or want to live their lives. What's missing? What do you think's missing? Because it can't be five bedroom house when there's only two of you. Yeah. <laughs> right? Exactly. It's like, what are you missing there? Yeah. Good point. So, Amelia, tell me a brand, a person, or an organization who has the most authentic brand experience today. Who is that in your mind? Well, this might be a cliche, but I love watching what Oprah does because, and I'm like, man, the way she uses her name and her initials for her network for um, with Harpo, it's her name backwards, and that's a production company, I think. Mm -hmm. And then her network own Oprah Winfrey network. I just think that's cool. Oprah is one of those, you know, sage brands that has been giving back to the community uh, over and over and over again. And and there's a pretty consistent uh, execution of the experience, whether it is O network or uh, Harpo or Whatever that is. Yeah. yeah, the vision is very clear. No matter what project it is, like it's, it all aligns back to her central purpose. It very, like you said, very clearly. There's no question. So authentic, I think, too. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the key things is it is authentic. And, and I, I feel like and I can think of one celebrity now that getting some cracks in her brand. But out there, but you know, that always seems like the people that are authentic, it's really, you don't ever see the cracks, I guess. Or the cracks are part of the, you know, it's like part of it. It's like, this is intentional. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So 2020, we started off with COVID-19. We're through many challenges there. Hopefully there's, um, all growth opportunities and, and all of this. What is what is something that Amelia wants to experience in 2020? I think I'm doing it right now, really. And that is unpacking um, my privilege as a white woman. Growing up in the South, it was always sort of this untalked about, but very present still 
energy um, and something that I haven't had to look at. And so now I am really elbow deep, shoulder deep in studying and learning and figuring out how I contribute to this system and then how I can unravel my part of it. So it's, it's hard work, but that's what I'm here for. You know, I'm maybe one of the crazy people that just really like, I'm not going to say it's fun, but I love digging in. Like I just, I feel so fulfilled digging into something that's really hard and dark and messy. And, um, because that's where the good stuff is. That's, that's where the, the real change comes from. It's amazing. And, and thank you for uh, being very transparent on that, that uh, question and, and sharing that with the listeners. It's great. So like, as we wrap up here, I'm sure you're on social media platforms, email addresses, websites, all that stuff. How does our listeners connect with you? Um, I am mostly present on Instagram. I just prefer the plat- the experience of the platform. So that my handle there is Amelia underscore coaches. And then my website is AmeliaJamesCoaching.com. Awesome. Well, thank you. Any closing thoughts, any additional conversations you'd like to have around physical, digital, you know, the human experience that we're all going through today? Yeah, I just, I love that you're having these conversations. I think this is the conversation that we need to be having. Um, This is the good stuff. So I'm glad that y'all are, are being the leaders on it. Oh, thank you, Mike. Closing words. Closing words. Thanks again for doing this. Really appreciate it. Whenever we get to, or you have time, we'd like you to stop by. We have a little gift for you. (laughs) Also get you to sign one of our mugs. We're good. We have all our guests signed. So whenever you have time and you can stop by, uh, we'd appreciate it. So we do really thank you. Yeah. Thank you. No, pleasure. Amelia, yes. Thanks again. Mike, thanks for uh, co-hosting the At 530 on Main podcast with me. Listeners, speak up, like, share, one star, five star. We want to know. We want to know what the experience is like on the other end of the uh, headset how and what you feel about the content that we're putting out. It's very, very important. We do not want to be, you know, out in a vacuum and just continue to put out the same thing that, that we feel is, is appropriate during this time. So like comment, share uh, on all your social platforms. We're on Facebook, Instagram, you know, VPS and extended group are on LinkedIn. So, um, yeah, if you would share it with a friend, there's also a form on the app 530 on main podcast on the extend group site. There's a form there that you can uh, make suggestions. Please do that because that only makes us better. And we do want to hear uh, what the experience is like on the other end and if we can enhance that. So once again, app 530 on main, it's been a pleasure to have Amelia Roberts on the podcast with, with us today. Thank you for listening. And we'll talk again soon. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of At 530 on Main, hosted by Sean Collins and Mike Davis. Please leave us a review and share your thoughts on today's episode. Let us know how you've been inspired or what you would like to hear on future episodes. And if you've enjoyed the conversation, help us spread the word. Share us on your social channels. Message a friend. 
rate the podcast. Without you, this experience would not be possible.